Hey everyone, this is Christ Presbyterian Church in New Haven with CPC Podcasts, and you're listening to The Sunday Sermon. The Old Testament reading this morning is from Isaiah 53, 1-12. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence. And there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, He shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. The New Testament reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 to 11 and 6 through 2. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but we are but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commanding ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one had died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might, not, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, 
God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Thanks be, this is the word of the Lord. What is it that controls you, that, that compels you? Is there, is there something, is there an underlying anxiety that when you fall, try to fall asleep at night, it's just always on your mind, or when you wake up, it consumes your thoughts? Paul tells us what it is for him. It's the fact that Christ loves him. The love of Christ compels him. But for Paul, we're told this is not just a personal issue. This is something much, much bigger than that, something on which even the whole world turns. Every generation, it seems, has events similar to that. Things like JFK assassination, 9-11. There is no going back, in a sense, for those who, who don't know it, maybe you're in college or younger, before 9-11, you could do wild things at an airport. You could, like, take full-size bottles of shampoo with you in your carry-on. It was, it was wild. You could meet people at their gate when they were getting off the plane. That was a long time ago, before 9-11. But since then, if you try to do that, you will be greeted with a lot of TSA agents. It does seem like there are events like that, right? Ancient Rome had one also, when Caesar crossed the Rubicon with his army. That seemed to have been a point at which there was no return. And the Republic was over. He became the emperor for Paul, he's, he seems to be saying there may be events like this, but those don't compare to the event he's talking about. 9-11, crossing the Rubicon, JFK assassination, January 6th, whatever it may be, those don't compare to the way in which the world has changed since the death of Christ. He says that everything that was before then, we can call all of that old. And since then, it is new. It's that a much of a game changer. If that's true, let's make sure we understand what is going on here. Let's pray. God, we do ask that you would be what compels us, that we would be open to hearing from you, 
and that we would join with Paul to have this conviction that you have given us new life in Christ. You have changed the cosmos that we ask that your spirit would make us behold that, be filled with gratitude because of it, that we could rejoice and show others your love, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, next week, we're going to start a new series in the Gospel of John, but to to end the summer, we're going to look at this foundational passage on the basics of the Gospel. And we're in the middle of what is actually a defense of Paul's own ministry. And it may seem odd that that would be such a big deal for him, such a big deal for the Bible, but a lot of his letters actually talk about why his ministry seems so weak. Him as a person appears to be so weak and pathetic, filled with suffering and imprisonment and persecution. And he would start these churches, but then they would hear about what is actually going on in his life. And a lot of people would wonder, is this... Is this how it's supposed to go? Is this the Christian life? And is the messenger that tells me about the good news, is that appropriate? Is his message actually legit if he's struggling such intense ways? And his answer over and over is, yeah. That's the way it's supposed to go because of the exact center of his message, which is the death of Christ. So, Jesus' death, what is the big deal? That's what we're going to look at. First, I want to see why Jesus' death is God's initiative. This, I want to start here, because this this is so groundbreaking, and it's all over this passage, from God. That's where it starts. From God. Verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. This, even in the grammar, I'm told, is unprecedented. The way that he's talking about reconciliation. The one who was offended is the one who takes The first step is the one who does the work. God did not see our sin and wait. He didn't see us even in our worst moments and sit back and say, well, let's see if they can figure this out. Maybe they can crawl their way to me anyway. No, we're told, not counting their trespasses against them, he reconciled us through the death of Christ. God did not wait. You see it in that Old Testament passage I had us read in Isaiah 53, It was the will of the Lord to crush him. This is God's plan. The Father sent the Son who willingly went. 
the Lord Yahweh laid on him the iniquity of us all. This was God's gracious provision in sync with the whole Old Testament system of sacrifice, which was always God's idea. This is, I'm going to provide for you in your sin so that you can still come to me. And Romans 5 says something very similar. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now maybe you've heard this a hundred times, but we need to remember this is not normal. This is not how gods are supposed to work. This is not how people usually work. Being the offended party and then being the one to not just take the first step, but actually do the work of reconciliation? That is wild. It says something also, something very important about our sin. What is the assumption here about our sin? It's that our sin is putting us at war with God. Now, it's very important that we realize this because I think sometimes we talk about sin and it seems so mundane. Like God is just overly dramatic. Why are you getting so worked up about a little bit of lust, a little bit of greed here? Can't we just move on? But we're told that actually our sin is an act of warfare with God an act of cosmic treason, if you will, the one who gave you everything, you have said, no, I'm good. I think I can do it on my own. But when we realize that a dead man cannot raise himself, we will see how foolish it is to think That sin is not that big a deal. That as if a dead man can just get out of the grave himself, open the coffin and say, see, I I wasn't that bad after all. We do want to make sure that when we talk about sin, we talk about God. It is a personal offense, personal rebellion against the God of the universe. It's not just breaking some arbitrary rule that somebody set up. So if sin is really that big of a deal, how much bigger is the fact that Jesus' death is God's initiative? He started it. And so we have this great exchange, if you will, and this famous, famous verse in verse 21. What did God do? He took, well, let's read it. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness 
of God. We can't even conceive of what it would be like to know no sin, to be unacquainted with it in our heart and our desire and what we want. Jesus was so perfectly without sin, and yet he takes the sin upon us that we may actually stand in the presence of God. To be righteous before God is to be right with God, to be considered right, just, able to come. That's the great exchange. And it was God's idea, God's initiative. He took the first step. So Paul wants us to see that, first of all. That is the thing that will end up outlasting empires, inspiring revolutions, inspiring martyrs and artists and everyone in between. That is the mercy of God in Christ. And it's that big a deal because it is cosmic. So at first it's from God, Jesus' death is God's initiative. The second point I want to think about is from now on, everything is different. You guys remember, for the kids camp last year, there's that song from The Greatest Showman, from now on, there's that sweet drum beat. From now on, nothing can be the same. It's that big a deal. The whole world, we are told, must now be redefined according to Jesus' death. How do I know that? Well, in verse 17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It's more like an exclamation. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And let me tell you, whenever the New Testament is talking about creation, you want to pay attention. Because that's a big deal. And then to compare something to creation is a really big deal. Right before this, in chapter 4, Paul says another astonishing thing. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And then here comes the creation part. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. Okay, so he's reminding us of Genesis 1. Early in Genesis 1, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. To come to know Christ is comparable to the power that was used to create light in the first place. Redemption is a kind of new creation. And so he can then quote Isaiah 49. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the favorable time. Israel was waiting. When we need another exodus. The first one didn't take. We screwed it up. So they were waiting for another exodus, another redemption where it had to God had to redeem them again, and we are told, here you go. It has happened. 
the restoration of Israel and the whole world has now come. Creation language is showing us that this is cosmic. This is a really big deal. This is not, eh, maybe. I kind of believe that, but it shouldn't really. I'll never forget, I was reading the Bible as a freshman in college. I wasn't raised Christian, reading it for the first time, and someone saw me reading it, and, and he said, and I asked him something, and he said, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't let it run my life. And I was like, I'm like reading the Bible and asking him, reading the Bible. Something's, have you read this part? But we all do that, right? From now on, Paul says, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He says later, we perceive no one according to the flesh anymore. They, he, he saw Jesus according to the flesh, seems to be referring to when he was a persecutor. He thought Jesus was just some blasphemer, just making things up according to the flesh. But Paul realizes now, I can't judge anyone now according to the flesh. What does that mean? It seems to mean that what he's saying, you judge, you criticize, you categorize people according to the old standard. And we have a lot of old standards, don't we? The Romans had their old standards, and to the Romans, someone on the cross is gone. He irrelevant, a traitor, a horrible person. This person deserves to be a symbol of the greatness of Rome. What is that for us? What are all the old standards according to the flesh that we use to judge people, to categorize them, to put them in boxes. We do it consciously and unconsciously, right? Sometimes it's just blatant based on wealth or race or accomplishments and resume, political party, Kids can be, kids do this too, right? I know I did it as a kid. I wasn't in the cool kid group, but I was like cool kid adjacent. And so I, they knew my name, but I wasn't like sitting in the center of the table. I was like on the outside with one leg falling off the table. Well, let me tell you, kids, if you're worried about that, in a few years, you won't be worried. It's actually not that big a deal. But when you're an adult, then you'll come up with some other silly standard by which to judge people. So it won't necessarily go away. It'll just change shapes. I've realized that I think one of those for me is, and and marriage has kind of exposed this, uh, I judge people who are not efficient with their time. Like, why does it take you so long to wash the dishes? Come on. Beat it up. Pick it up. (laughs) I mean, How many silly things can we judge people by? Now, those are some silly examples, but there are more serious ones also. 
And what has happened with the death of Jesus is a kind of, it's the, it's the way to end all prejudice, if you will. It is a great reversal. If the first, first point had that famous verse, the great exchange, there's also in our value system a great reversal. Where what you thought was weak or insignificant is actually the very place where God is strong. So that Paul can end this book with this famous passage of my grace is sufficient in your weakness. Later, we didn't read it, but later in chapter 6, he says some crazy things. He says, we are treated as imposters and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live. So he is perceived as weak, as imposters, as a person who is dying. He goes on, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful. People see you as sorrowful, like you don't have any reason to rejoice. Look at your life. But he says, yet always rejoicing. And here comes the kickers. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. According to the flesh, they say to Paul, you have nothing. You've lost it all. According to Christ, he can say, I have everything. Everything. Weakness, poverty, suffering, sickness, they don't prove anything. That's what we forget. They don't prove anything. Satan wants them to prove something. He wants to say, look, God has left you. He doesn't care about you. He's not that powerful after all. Look what you're losing out on. You need to be afraid of missing out on a lot of things. But it's not true. When you... See someone, judge them by this standard, not according to the flesh. When you experience something yourself, test them by this, test that thing by this standard. We've had, we've had people, a number of people the last couple of weeks who had to go to the hospital. How important is it for them to know that God is near you now? Not just give it a few weeks and then you can go back to God. God is near you now in the hospital bed. And even he may be more intimate to you now than he was when you were doing well. That's the power of this cosmic shift. From now on, nothing can be the same but as I mentioned, it's not just cosmic. It's not just this big thing out there. It is personal. So if we started with from God and from now on, I want to end with for me. Jesus' death is personal. He makes it pretty clear in verse 14. Paul says, for the love of Christ controls us or compels us or is an overwhelming passion. 
It's what drives him. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So this new compelling force has freed him from his own selfishness, from his own reason to be selfish. Have you ever thought about that as freedom? We, we think the opposite. We think, I need the freedom to be more selfish. Don't we? I want to just be able to do what I want to do. That's freedom. Well, to the Bible, that's slavery. To just do what you want to do, you will enslave yourself further and further to your own passions or to whatever happens to be in control of you. Here we are told everything is reconfigured because I am not my own. Even self-care is reframed as a kind of stewardship. Your body is not your own, but you are a steward on behalf of God. No longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And so for Paul, he is proclaiming this, this cosmic change and then saying, you need to make it personal. Be reconciled. God has done this. How could you not respond? This is what has happened in Jesus. Act accordingly. Be reconciled. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. It seems to be a belief that is just not actually translating into action, translating into a heart change. So we need to ask, what is the thing that compels us? What is our controlling passion? Someone asked me, I'd say, Jesus. Jesus is mine. But that's an easy question, right, to answer on the phrase of it. The hard thing would be to ask people who really know me, what would you say Craig's controlling passion is? Maybe that's what you need to do also. Man, he seems to really care about that Netflix show. He seems to care a lot about comfort, a lot about what other people think about him. I wonder if our problem is not so much we have the wrong controlling passion, it's that we don't really have a controlling passion at all. We just do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, kind of tempered. All right, Jesus died, but let's not make that big a deal out of it. Like we want to just stay in our lane, get by. Ooh, I think that hits, that hits me for sure. I think of it as kind of functional agnostics. What I mean by that is you can be theoretical or whatever. You can be a theoretical Christian. But what are you functionally? What are you in action? What, is, what does your life really look like? We can, be, we can be functional deists, meaning, well, we believe in God, but he's really far away and doesn't really concern my life down here. Functional agnostic to me is someone who kind of not really sure. Yeah, Jesus is kind of who he says he is, probably, but just in case, I want to have my cake and eat it too. 
Is that true for you? Why would that be such a bad thing? Because of what we just said Jesus' death has done. It's like trying to take a big bottle of shampoo onto the airplane. It's stupid now. You can't do it. It is out of accordance with reality. You cannot live if you're going to an airport as if 9-11 has not happened. You've got to take your shoes off. In this case, you cannot live any longer as if the one who died has been raised and you have been reconciled to God. Stop living this foolish, afraid, selfish, holding back your life. We don't have to live that life anymore. That's not reality. Paul is telling us what the secret of all secrets is. This is reality. What God has done in Jesus Christ shows us who God is, shows us who we are, and we are told now, go live that way. Live accordingly. How could you not? What prevents you? What leads you to buy into an alternative reality? What are those things in your life that you need to say no to, that you need to examine, that you need to ask people about? How do you still live according to the flesh, according to the old standard, forgetting, behold, the new has come. It has come. We just need to remind ourselves over and over to get it deep into our souls, the new has come. Jesus' death has begun a whole new era. You don't have to live a life of slavery or fear. You've been freed from that. You don't have to live a life of selfishness. You have been freed from that. Hallelujah. Amen? Let's get ready to feast on him. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Sermon. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to subscribe to CPC Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. If you liked this show, consider a five-star rating, share it with your friends, or write to us at podcast at cpcnewhaven.org.